Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God that I'd like to study with you today will include a reference to our Old Testament reading. Uh, but the focus really comes from the first verse of our second reading. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Who are you? What are you? What makes you, you? I'm not asking uh, about your name. That's probably the first thing you would tell somebody if you just met them. I'm not asking about your job or your career or what you might want to be when you grow up. I'm not asking about the different groups that you might belong to or activities that you might do or your hobbies or interests. I'm asking about who you are as a child of God. Once you become a child of God in holy baptism, that is your most and important identity. That identity as a child of God influences and affects all of the other roles and relationships and activities of your life. And today we learn that as a child of God, that identity gives you a second identity. A priest. You've probably never thought of yourself as a priest. Maybe you might even resist the idea and say, no, pastor, you can be the priest, but, but not me. But that's exactly what we learned today. Martin Luther called it the universal priesthood of believers. It's simply the, the idea that if you are a child of God, a believer in Jesus, then you are also a priest of God. And today we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand exactly what it means to be a priest and then to thank God for the privilege that in Christ you are priests. Let's start with our Old Testament reading where God explains first how he delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, but then also tells them why. You probably remember the how. The this, this Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years, and God finally decided that he would send Moses to deliver them from slavery. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and says, let my people go. When Pharaoh says no, God sends plague after plague after plague. And finally, after the last plague, where all kinds of children and animals were put to death, they leave. But when Moses leads the people out of Egypt, they get stuck at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is pursuing. By God's power, Moses parts the waters of the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land and the waters drown Pharaoh and his army. And then, that's essentially where our story picks up, they begin the march toward the Promised Land. They're in the desert of Sinai. It's only been three months and they're camping at the base of the mountain of Sinai. And God calls Moses to the top of the mountain and tells Moses, I want you to give an important message to the people. Part one, remind them that it is I, the Lord their God, who delivered them from slavery and who has lifted them up on eagles' wings and brought them to this very spot. But then tell them why. Remind them that out of all the nations in the earth, I chose them to be my chosen people, my special possession, my unique group. And then he tells them why. 
He said, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now it's ironic that God says the entire nation would be a kingdom of priests. It's ironic because as God continues to give Moses more instructions about how the people would worship him, he only chooses one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi, to serve in the temple. And from that tribe, he chooses only one family. He begins with Moses' brother Aaron and then his four sons and their sons to come after them. They are the only ones who would serve as priests in the Old Testament. Now, the reason the people needed priests is because God wanted a holy nation. And the nation of Israel was anything but holy. In fact, as you continue reading in Exodus, you find out that only a, a short time after this happens, while Moses is up on the top of the mountain again, this time to get the Ten Commandments from God written directly on the stone tablets, the people are down in their camp taking off their earrings and their necklaces and their rings and melting it all down into shaping it into the form of a golden calf. Even after God had delivered them from slavery by miracle after miracle after miracle, the people still form another God and they bow down to this calf and say, well, there's the Lord our God who delivered us. God became so angry, he was ready to destroy them and start all over with Moses as a new nation. But when Moses prayed for the people, God relented. That's why they needed priests. They needed someone to be their intercessor. They needed someone to go between them as a sinful nation and the holy God. And that was exactly what the role of the priest was designed to do, was to represent the people before God. And in the Old Testament, the priest had two primary functions. First, he offered sacrifices for their sin. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, but it was regular for the people to come to the temple and to bring a bull or a goat or a lamb or a bird. And if they were not able to bring one, they could buy one there at the temple. They would present the animal to the priest who would slaughter the animal and pour its blood around the altar and then sacrifice the animal. There were burnt offerings and sin offerings and guilt offerings. Sometimes they did grain and wine for fellowship offerings as well. It was a constant reminder that the sinful people owed God the payment of a bloody sacrificial death for their sin. And the priest offered those sacrifices day and night and many times throughout the year. The second function of the priest was simply to pray for the people. Of course, that prayer would begin with forgiveness for their sins. But they also prayed that God would protect his people and provide for them. We're not much different. We need priests to represent us as well. Because God still wants a holy nation. And we are anything but holy. In fact, I don't know if you caught it at the end of our gospel reading. 
at the beginning, it was encouraging. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Go and let other people see God through the way that you live your life. And then he said that his word would never pass away. And so anyone who teaches differently from his word, they would be considered least in the kingdom of heaven. And he ended that little section with, if your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It strikes at my heart. Because I do not have the righteousness that God demands. Which is to be holy as he is holy. And it starts with the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods. I'm guessing that you've never taken your jewelry and formed a little golden calf and bowed down and said, there's my God. You've probably never taken any kind of statue and set it on your mantle in your house and bowed down and said, there's my God. We are not likely to commit that kind of idolatry, but haven't we all put other people or things before God in our hearts? Maybe we've bowed down to the almighty dollar or success or career or happiness or the happiness of our children or our grandchildren or all of the other worldly treasures and pleasures that are constantly tempting us. It happens when we don't even think about it because in our mind, God comes first, but in our hearts and our lives, it's, it's so often not the case. And just as God became angry with his Old Testament people, he is also angry when we put other things before him because he knows that it always leads to our destruction. Which is exactly why God sent us a priest. Not just any priest. Not just another priest who would sacrifice more bulls or goats or lambs or doves. But a priest who could represent us before him perfectly. That priest, of course, is God's own son, Jesus. Jesus came to offer a sacrifice. He is the perfect priest to offer a sacrifice because he is fully and 100% God and also fully and 100% human. He is the perfect representative and he offered the perfect sacrifice because even as a human, he lived his own perfect and holy life. And so rather than offering the blood of animals, Jesus offered himself. That's what we heard a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this idea. The priest became the sacrifice. Jesus became the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And his sacrifice paid for all sin of all people of all time to make us a holy nation. But we keep on sinning. And so Jesus prays for us. In fact, Jesus prayed for you even before he made the sacrifice. As we approach the season of Lent, maybe something you can do to prepare is go back and read John chapter 17, where you find out that on the night he was betrayed, on Monday, Thursday evening, after Jesus had eaten the last supper with his disciples and he had gone to Gethsemane to pray, he prayed for you. 
Knowing that Judas was on his way to betray him, knowing that the very next day he would be nailed to a cross, knowing all of the intense suffering and pain that was coming to his body and even his soul, he prayed for you. He prayed that you would have faith in him. And he prayed that God would protect you from sin and temptation and Satan. And the very next morning, as he was being nailed to the cross, he continued to pray for you. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth were, Father, forgive them. Certainly, he prayed for those who were actually nailing the, or hammering the nails into the wood. But he prayed for us because it was our sins that caused those nails in his hands and his feet. And Jesus still prays today. Father, forgive them. Sitting in heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, every single time we sin, I imagine Jesus turning to his Father and asking again, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Even before I realize that I have sinned, even before I ask God to forgive me, Jesus has already prayed and the forgiveness has already been granted. So that by the time that I realize what I have done and I go to say, Father, forgive done. You're forgiven. That's how Peter can say, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I wish we had time to go through each one of those phrases. We don't have time for that this morning. But just stop and briefly consider that God chose you. Out of all the billions of people that have lived in the world, God said, I want you to be my child. And in holy baptism, God made that a reality. When God called you his child, he made you his own special possession. And he promises then to protect you and to provide for you. Through the blood of Christ, God has made you and the entire Christian church, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, his own holy nation and the blood of Christ and the promise of baptism continue to wash away your sins so that every day you stand holy before God. And that's what makes you a priest. Because you are God's chosen people, his special possession, a holy nation, you are now given the privilege to represent others before God. <clears throat> Pastor Albrecht and I, we get to do that publicly. And we don't just mean in public, but representing the group. But every single believer has the privilege of representing others before God. We don't have to make sacrifices anymore because Jesus made the once and for all sacrifice for sin. You don't ever have to slaughter a lamb and offer its carcass on a grill. You don't have to pay money. You don't have to pray for others' salvation specifically. What we can do, though, is pray that God would grant them faith in Christ. We pray regularly for others in our worship services. We'll do that again today. We pray for people before surgery and after surgery when, when they're sick. We pray for families at the loss of a loved one. We pray for birthdays like we did last week. We pray for anniversaries. We pray for all kinds of physical needs, and that's a great place to start. 
But God also invites you to pray for the spiritual need of others. Jesus has made the payment for their sin. They receive that forgiveness through faith. So for whom can you pray? We will naturally start at home. We'll pray for our spouses and our children, our grandchildren, our family members and friends. We pray that God would not only provide and protect for their bodies, but that he would give them the Holy Spirit so that they too become part of God's chosen people and holy nation. But let's not stop there. Let's pray for one another. And let's pray for those who do not yet know Jesus as Savior. You know someone like that, don't you? One person, maybe a family member, maybe a neighbor, maybe somebody at work or school, maybe somebody you just met along the way, someone who still does not know or believe that Jesus has made them holy. Would you be willing to pray for them? And I mean right now. I'm going to invite you to participate with me. I know this might be just a little uncomfortable, but I, I don't think it has to be. I, I want you to think of a name of someone that you know that does not believe in Jesus. And on the count of three, I'm going to invite you to say their name out loud, just their first name. And we don't need to worry about what everybody else's name is saying. We're just going to say our own. But I, I want to make this real for you. So on the count of three, if you're willing to say your name, I'm going to say one, two. Ready? One, two, three. John. Perfect. Now let's pray for that person. Here's the simple prayer that I'd like to offer. Holy Spirit, give faith to whatever name you said. Ready? Holy Spirit, give faith to John. Can I take just a minute to tell you about John? I had the privilege of going to Mexico with my wife last week. It was great. I met all kinds of unbelievers there. Not because they were there in Mexico. But I met a man named John. I'm going to guess he's around 40. I, I talked to him simply because he sat next to me, but he, he had a tattoo that said dad and it had some dates. And his dad's birthday was actually during the week. And his dad had died in 2021 from COVID. And my dad died from something different about seven years ago during last week. And so we made a little connection. I found out that he grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, and they do not believe in Jesus as Savior. And then I found out he left even that group, and now he just doesn't believe anything. That's all I really know about John. I will probably never see him again the rest of my life. But I am going to pray every day, at least for this week, that God would send the Holy Spirit to John. And you could do the same. Now, if you're praying for someone that you will see again, God might use you to be the answer to your own prayer. As we live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, God can use us and not only our good deeds, but even our words to bring them the Holy Spirit. But, but maybe we can just start here with a prayer. Because that's a job of a priest. And that's at least part of who you are. As a child of God, God made you part of his holy nation, his special possession. And he made you a priest. 
I have to confess, I'm not that good at being a priest. What I mean by that is I don't pray enough for you or for others who do not know Jesus. But Jesus is our great high priest and he daily forgives us from all of our sins and he gives us another opportunity to pray for others beginning today. The next time someone asks you, who are you or what do you do? Maybe you'll shock them and you'll say, well, in Christ, I'm a child of God and that also makes me a priest. Can I pray for you? Amen.